Well, we just finished our study in Revelation. Long 38 or 39 lessons on that. So we're going to switch gears a little bit, and we're going to go back into the Old Testament. And guess which book we're going to do? I like the graphic. Do you have the one with the, the one you showed me with the, the mouth? We were going through graphics, and he had a, one with the big shark mouth, you know, open up like that. And I'm like, oh, maybe. But, well... This is probably the first Bible story you learn as a kid. You hear about the, now we call it the whale, but the Bible calls it the great fish. We're going to go with whale just because that's what everyone's used to, even though technically it might not be a whale, it might be something else. We don't know for sure, but we're just going to say whale. When I refer to whale, we're talking about great fish. So before we get into the book, let's do a little due diligence before we start this study. Now, you know, Jonah was a prophet in Israel. This is Israel, not Judah. This is the, the, southern, the northern kingdom. He was a prophet during the time of Jeroboam II. How many, when you read these books, you wish they had changed the name? You got Jeroboam, Rehoboam, Jeroboam II. Can't you just have like Max, John, and David? Because they're simple. Now you get confused. You know, Rehoboam, Jeroboam, which... Well, Jeroboam the second. In 2 Kings 14, 23, it says, In the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, number one, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Sea of Arabah in accordance with the word of God, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet of Gath, or from Gath, Hefer. Now, if you know Old Testament, Israel's kind of broken up into two sections. You have Israel, which is the Bible refers to Israel, and the second one is the Bible refers to as Judah. Judah would be the southern kingdom, Israel is the northern kingdom. During after, you know, after David and, and Solomon, Israel never had a good king. It was always wicked, every king wicked. Judah, every once in a while they'd have a good king. They had about three or four of them, but even in the end of that, most of those kings kind of messed up anyways, but at least they, had, they tried. Now, several years have passed since that split. Now, Jeroboam II is the seventh king of Israel. Now, during Jeroboam's reign, there was great prosperity in the land, even though the country was becoming increasingly wicked. How many find that to be true? God will still bless you, and you can be prosperous even when you're wicked. And you look at the world today. How many people that have all kinds of wealth and influence are a million miles from God? Wealth and prosperity is no indication of God's blessing in your life. Check your spirit. Now, both Amos and Hosea were prophets at the same time as Jonah. Amos chapter 1, verse 1 says, The words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa, what he saw concerning Israel two days before the earthquake, when Uzziah was king of Judah and Jeroboam, son of Joash, was king of Israel. So they're contemporaries. Hosea 1 says, The word of the Lord came to Hosea, son of 
Beeri during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel. Now, if you read Amos and you read Hosea, both of them were telling Israel, judgment's coming, you need to repent. And he was trying to tell them that even though they were blessed materially, material possessions were no indication that God was pleased with your life. And on the other hand, you may be in want. That's no indication of God's not blessing you. What we have is no indication. You have to check your spirit. Where are you at with the Lord? You may have a lot. You may have little. Neither one of those indicate what God is doing in your life. You know, and you look at the world around us, and not, not this country, but other countries, Christians have nothing. They have little, and they're being persecuted and, and chased down. But they're solid. They love God. So what we have here is no, not necessarily an indication of God's blessing. I wrote here, so in our personal life or church ministry or country life, prosperity and having things is no indication that God is pleased with us or that what we have is actually a reward from God for being, quote, good. You may have acquired things and been blessed materially, but they weren't actually given to you from God. There's a, I may have heard of the name Michael Franzese. Michael Franzese was a mob guy, New York mob guy. He was a, what they call him a made man. He was one of the inner circle, like godfather type of guy. Well, he got saved. And I've, I've seen him, he's been in uh, Greg Laurie's church, he's been doing a couple things. And he would be the first to tell you that he was making a million dollars a week doing his mob stuff. So and he'll tell you, you know, material things is no indication of God's blessing. But even in all of their sin, God kept calling them out to repent. You guys are wicked, judgment's coming, please repent. And they, they ignored him. God told Hosea to marry a prostitute to symbolize to the nation what they were doing to God. Amos' whole book was talking about how God was going to judge every country, including Judah and Israel. Now, Jonah's book is full of the supernatural, and we'll discuss that stuff later on in the series. So we can ask ourselves, what is the book of Jonah about? Well, some may say it's about the whale, but the whale's only mentioned four times. Some may say it's about Nineveh. Nineveh's mentioned nine times. Some may say it's about a disobedient prophet. That's mentioned 18 times. And all those are true, but mostly it's about God because God is mentioned 38 times. The book of Jonah is about the will of God and how you respond to God's will. How many have ever felt God tell you to do something and you just didn't want to do it? <laughs> that hand went up pretty fast. <laughs> you must be in ministry. <laughs> it's about... The will of God, how we respond to it, and it's also about the love of God and how we share it. Now, Jonah was probably a popular guy in Israel. Everybody knew who he was. He predicted the nation would regain her lost territory from her enemies, and they did. I can get there. 2 Kings 14 says, He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Leba, Hamath, to the Sea of Arabah, in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet of Gath, 
heifer. Now, the town, they believed the good words from Jonah, right? Jonah's saying, you're going to get this property back. They're all excited, and they get it back. They believe that. But they don't believe the bad news from Jonah. We all like to hear good news, right? We want to hear good news all the time. You don't want to really hear about bad things. You don't want to hear about things going wrong. But when you go to the doctor, you want the truth, right? If it's good news, awesome. If it's not good news, you still want to know it so you can make decisions about it. How many have ever heard a sermon and think, well, you know, that guy over there really needs to hear this word? Well, maybe you're the guy who needs to hear that word. Maybe someone's saying that about you or me. So things are pretty, going pretty good for Jonah. You know, they like him. He's prophesying the good things for him. They're not listening too much of the bad. So we start at verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Running away from God. How's that work out for you? Now, we're going to look at these verses and see that Jonah ran into trouble because, what, he had a wrong attitude about people and about different things. His first wrong attitude was towards the will of God. Obeying the will of God is as important to God's people as it is to God's servant. So I have to obey the will of God, but you also have to obey the will of God. It's one thing for me to stand up here and tell you that, but if I don't do it, I'm guilty of what? Hypocrisy, right? So the God's servant has to obey God's will as much as the people he's trying to talk to from God. Now, we've mentioned earlier that those who teach God's word are held to a higher standard and will be judged more strictly. Jonah would be one of those guys. He was a prophet. He was telling them what God was telling him to tell them. And so if he's not doing it, he's going to be judged. James 3.1 says, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged by God with greater strictness. I read that verse a lot because... <laughs> It kind of scares me, you know? You want to make sure you're doing it right. And we saw that God was using Jonah to prophesy to Israel. And even though Israel was wicked, God still used him. He's responsible for saying the message. The people are responsible for uh, responding to it. In other words, he's supposed to preach to it, and if they listen to it, awesome. If they don't listen to it, he's free. It's their... Then that'll be judged. And Ezekiel said, look, you've got to preach the word. If you don't preach it, you're guilty, regardless of what they do. But if you, don't, if you do preach it and they don't listen, you're good because you did what God told you to do, regardless of what everyone else did. And so he told Israel to repent. He was all excited about getting them to repent. He's you know, preaching to them, trying to get them safe but he didn't want to do it for anybody else. It's okay for me and mine. I want to get them saved, but, you know, I don't want God to forgive those guys. I'm worthy of God's forgiveness. Israel's worthy of God's forgiveness, but those guys in Nineveh, they're not, they're not worthy of God's forgiveness. 
How many know that nobody's worthy of God's forgiveness, right? And we are to obey God's word regardless of how we feel about it. I'm going to read scriptures that you just don't necessarily like, but you got to do them. When you go to the doctors and they tell you to, you got to exercise, you don't want to do it, but you got to do it. What does the Bible say about doing the will of God? John 4, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. So you want spiritual nourishment. You want to grow spiritually? You want spiritual food? Doing God's word is spiritual food. Not just hearing it, but doing it. John 7, 17 says, If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. When, you, when God calls you to do something and you actually step out and do it and you see that it succeeds, what do you know? You know that God was in it. You know that God was part of it. And you get excited about that and you want to do the next thing. To Jesus, the will of God was food. However, to Jonah, the will of God at this point was like poison. He didn't want to share it. He didn't want to do it. You want to find, more, you want to find out more about God? If you do his will, you will grow in your knowledge of God. Romans 12, 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know what God really wants you to do, and you will know how good and pleasing and perfect his will really is. Most times, the best way to learn something is to do it. Not just be taught it, but do it. Theory never really teaches you have to put what you learn in practice. The theory that we learned in the classroom, that does the teaching. Our job is now to do what we have learned to do. How many remember taking tests in school? They test you to see if you actually learn from what you were studying. And the best way to learn it is to actually do it. And I've used this example before, but driving a car. You can have all the theory, every classroom, every video you want to watch, but you really don't know how to drive a car until you actually drive the car. How many here like to go to the range? Bang, bang, bang. Well, you know, you, there's all kinds of videos on YouTube that you can watch about this, but unless you actually go to do it and practice it, you can't do it right. Doing God's word shows you that God's word is real, not just listening to it and then moving on to the next thing. Jonah's wrong attitude came from various ideas. First is that Jonah's attitude told him that the job was impossible. And we sang about that and we prayed about that, right? This city was so wicked, Jonah thought, I'm just wasting my time. I'm not going to go down there because they're just so bad, they're not not going to get saved. I'm, I'm not wasting my time. Everything that God asks you to do looks impossible. And it is. Just because something looks impossible does not mean that it is not God's will. In fact, 
if something appears possible to do, then God doesn't need you to do it. There's a saying that says, if you can explain what God's doing, then God's not doing it. If you think it's possible, then you don't need God to help you do it. Everything that God wants us to accomplish is impossible without God helping you do it. Jesus, when he's talking about salvation, but it's applicable to everything that God calls us to do, in Matthew 19 says, his disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved? They asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God, some things are possible. Is that what it says? But with God, everything is possible. Who are we praying for that, man, they're just a million miles of God, they're never going to get saved? That's Nineveh. God can do it. The Bible says we can't. Humanly speaking, the Bible says it's impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Who are you praying for? What are you praying God and asking God for? The second thing is Jonah had a wrong attitude about the word of God. Verses 1 through 3, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Jonah thought he could just take or leave God's word. How many would like to take some stuff out of the Bible? Stuff that, you know, I just don't like that. I can take that chapter out. I'm just not going to, I don't believe that one. I'm not going to take it. I'm not going to do it. I like the part about God's love and forgiveness. You know, I like that. I'm going to keep that. I'm not going to keep the part about hell and judgment. I'm going to take that out. A lot of churches have done that, by the way. I'm not too fond of the holiness part. I don't, you know, I got to be holy. I got to give up all this stuff. I don't, you know, that God says you got to give up. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to go for that. I'll go with the love stuff. God loves me. I'm going to go with that. But I'm not going to go with the holiness stuff. Well, you got to take it all. How many of you have ever had an antibiotic from the doctor? What's he tell you? You've got to take it all. Even if, if, even if you feel better, you've got to take it all. Because if you don't, it's going to come back worse than it had. God's word is you've got to take it all. God take it all. And he'll do the same thing. It'll heal you. Disobedience is not an option for God's kids. Israel had been disobedient. And therefore, God's judgment was about to happen. Jonah was telling them, look, you guys are going to get taken away by Assyria. You're going to get judged unless you repent. And they didn't listen. And Jesus tells us in Luke, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you that he is like, what he is like who comes to me and hears my word and puts him into practice. He's like a man building a house who dug deep down and, found, and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that the storm struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my word and does not put them into practice is like a man built who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed, and the destruction was complete. You know, it's a great privilege to be a prophet of God, right? Not too many guys get called. You get to hear directly from God, and you get to relay God's word. It's a privilege to be in ministry. Privilege. A lot of responsibility with that, but it's a privilege. Those who do it would, 
I think someone said, if you can do anything other than ministry, then you better do it. <laughs> what did Paul say? Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. It's, it's a privilege to do what God calls you to do. But why do you think he ran? Well, he we knew he couldn't get away from God's presence, but he thought he could just quit being a prophet. I'll just, I'll just quit. I'll resign, Lord. I'll, I'll quit. But how many know God's callings and gifts are not returnable? <laughs> right? There's no customer service counter where you can take your calling and gifts with your receipt and say, you know what, I want, I want a refund. If God calls you to something, there's no probationary period where you can change your mind. You know, I, got, I got 90 days, then I have a review, and then God says, well, no, you're done. No, there's no probationary period. Romans 11.29 says, For God's gifts and his callings are irrevocable. And a lot of God's people want to quit. Not just, this isn't just ministry. This is everybody in God's family. God calls you to be saved. There's no, there's no getting out of that. You can leave on your own, but God's not going to leave you. Moses wanted to quit. Numbers 11. I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is too heavy. I'd rather you killed me than treat me like this. Please spare me this misery. <laughs> misery. Ministry. Please kill me. Elijah, 1 Kings 19. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors. You see a theme? Lord, just kill me. I don't want to do this anymore. Just take my life. Jeremiah 20. Yet I curse the day I was born. May the day of my birth not be blessed. There's times when you just want to quit. God says, no, there's no quitting. You call upon me, I'll give you the energy to do it. You finish what I've called you to do. And all these guys, even though they lamented at that point, God filled them and used them, continued to use them. Number three, Jonah had the wrong attitude about his circumstances. Verse three, I'll start at verse three. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So he took off, headed down to Joppa, and miraculously he found a boat. God must be in it. And it was ready to board. God must be in it. And he had enough money to pay the fare. This must be from God. Things were, everything was going his way. If I were looking at those things, I might say, you know what? All these things are lining up for me. Maybe this is what God wants me to do. God's with me. Everything's going right. Not always the case, right? <laughs> it's possible, possible to be out of the will of God and still have circumstances go your way. How many unbelievers seem to be blessed and have no worries while Christians seem to struggle? Blessings and provision are not always a sign that we're right in the middle of God's will. Jesus told the disciples, go out in the boat, go across, doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. They get in the middle of the lake, storm comes up. Storm came out in the middle of doing God's will. Sometimes the enemy throws storms at you to make you want to quit. And God uses it to test you. 
and to show you that he can provide in the middle of the storm. And we need to constantly keep checking ourselves to make sure that we're doing God's will because it's easy to get complacent when everything's working out for you. Everything's going smoothly. What happened with Israel? Every time God seemed to bless them and things were going great, they backslid. And it wasn't until things were going bad for them that they came back to God. I just, I just finished reading the book of Judges. <laughs> you would think these guys would have learned over the years, but they didn't. And every time they kept falling back and falling back. And it's really sad how degraded that nation became during that time. And on the other hand, negative situations don't necessarily mean you're out of God's will. You may have a false sense of security, and maybe that allows you to sleep well at night. How many get a good night's sleep? I don't see too many hands going up. I need to be a mattress salesman. You need to buy a new mattress. Or a melatonin salesman. There we go. But you can have a good night's sleep and be out of the will of God. Jonah 1.5 says, but Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Hey, man, God put this boat here. I had enough money. They were ready to leave. Things are going my way. I'm going to take a nap. We all know this, but sometimes we need to be reminded feelings are never a good indication of God's blessing. Because your feelings, you wake up at 7 o'clock in the morning or whenever you get up, and it's nice and bright and sunny outside, and you look out and you have an awesome attitude. Or you wake up at 7 o'clock in the morning and it's gloomy and dark, and you have to turn your lights on to drive, and it's raining. Different attitude. <laughs> you love the sun. You hate the winter. Feelings, never indication of what God's doing. Number four, Jonah had a wrong attitude about unsaved people. Back to verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Why? Because its wickedness has come up before me. And for the wickedness of a nation to come up before God, they had to be bad. And the Ninevites were some of the most seriously wicked people. And in the natural, we would probably want the same thing. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. It was a nation known for its brutality and immorality. And God would later punish them for their wickedness. But they were more wicked than Israel. Nahum 1 says, From you, O Nineveh, has one come forth who plots evil against the Lord and counsels wickedness. Nahum 3.1, Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. And verse 4, All because of the wanton lust of a harlot, alluring, the, mystery, the mistress of sorceries who enslaved nations by her prostitution and people by her witchcraft. The Assyrians were a whole lot more wicked than Israel could ever hope to be. And when the Ninevites conquered a nation, they would torture and murder cold-bloodedly. These are some examples I got when I searched it out. They were known to burn boys and girls alive, torture adults, tearing the skin from their bodies, and leaving them to die in the scorching sun. Rather than hide such depravity, they celebrated and proclaimed it. They even built monuments to their own cruelty. So wicked and, and celebrating it too 
one commentator says it sounds just like Nazi Germany. And they would constantly attack Israel, and I'm sure Jonah thought, hey, man, God, just destroy them. Get them out of our way. They won't attack us again. Just wipe them out. How many would want that? Come on. Why would God want to give them mercy? But God did. The difference was Israel was given many chances to repent. But Nineveh never had an opportunity to hear the gospel and, be, and repent. And Jonah was the one who was supposed to give them that, at least give them the opportunity. And the question I wrote down here, is there anyone you think should not be given the chance to repent? Anyone you think whose sins are so vile and despicable, they don't deserve heaven. They deserve hell. If you ask most people, there's only about three people who are going to be in actual hell. Hitler, Ted Bundy, but that's not true because Ted Bundy, according to James Dobson, got saved. So Ted Bundy's in heaven. Mao, Pol Pot, maybe. We all probably know people that, even though we don't like to say it, we'd like to see in hell. Jonah thought they deserved God's wrath. And they probably did. But God wanted to give them a chance to repent first. He wanted to give them a chance to change. Jonah's attitude towards sinners was one of judgment and punishment. God's attitude was one of pity and reconciliation. Should we have no less an attitude towards those we know and maybe those we don't know? Wicked people, people that have maybe really wronged us or just have wronged people in general. But this is the example that shows us that no sinner is too far gone for God to save. No matter who they are, no matter what they've done, nobody is beyond God wanting them to come to know Christ. Nobody is beyond God changing who they are. This guy, Michael Francis from the mob, Radical change for this guy. Radical. I mean, he spent years in prison, did some unspeakable things, but now he's a Christian going around and sharing the gospel. And the one thing he shares is how God protected him because, not that I know this personally, but when you leave the mafia, you don't leave the mafia. You leave the mafia in one way, in a box. But they let him go. They didn't go after him. God was upon him. When the Ninevites conquered a nation, there were the horrible torture that went on. But God still wanted them to repent. And we'll see later that they do. And this shows us that everyone is worthy of, or everyone is responsible and able to receive God's grace and forgiveness. Just like today, God offers salvation to the best of us and to the worst of us. I've come across people that have that two different opinions. I'm so sinful, God can never forgive me. And the other end of the spectrum is, I'm such a good person, I don't need to be forgiven. Both of those wind up the same thing. 
You have to want God's grace and mercy. If you don't want God's mercy and grace, God's not going to make you take it. With Nineveh, God allowed them the opportunity to be saved. He wouldn't judge them without first offering it to them. If they rejected it, then the judgment would come, but he wants to give them an opportunity. Now, this, this generation in Nineveh, they did get saved. But the next generation, they backslid again just like everybody else, and judgment would come upon them. Why? Because they left God's grace. The Bible says God offers salvation to us, but if we reject it, we will also be held accountable for our sins. And at that point, point, we will face God's judgment, just like Nineveh did. The whole point of this book, and I'm going to close with this. What did Paul say? Wait, what time? Doesn't mean a thing. The verse that everybody knows, for God so loved what? The world. I put in parentheses, no matter how sinful or even righteous you may be, God loved you. That he gave his only son, one and only son, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Our job is not to condemn people. Our job is to share the gospel with them no matter who they might be, no matter how bad we think they are. That's all up to God. Our job is to share it. God's job is to save them or not. They can reject it. Our job is to give them the truth. Because as we prayed earlier and as we know it from Revelation, time is short. Time is short. Whether your time is short or the church age time is short. And we've heard numerous times that the rapture can happen any minute. Any minute. And all those people we're praying for, they may think they're good or they may think they're too bad. But God still wants to give them an opportunity. So whenever you hear the news, I, sometimes I can't read the news because it's so horrible. Just because of what one person does to another. But God wants that person to be saved. God wanted... Ted Bundy to be saved. God wanted Hitler to be saved. God wants all these people to say, be saved. It's not our job to condemn them for what they've done. They'll answer for that in some way. Our job is to share the gospel with them. Tell them what Jesus did for them and give them the opportunity. What they do with that is up to them. Would you stand as we close? See, I said it twice. If you bow your heads for a moment. And we should just bow our hearts before God too. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never really committed your life to Christ. You may think that you've sinned more than, <clears throat> more than you deserve to be forgiven for. And as we're beginning to learn, no one is that far gone. Or maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum. You think you've lived a really good life. And you don't really need God in your life.
Well, the truth is, the Bible says we're all sinners. Nobody's good enough. Nobody's going to make it on our own ability or our own goodness. Because the Bible says all have sinned. And the Bible says that the wages of those sins is death. Both physically and spiritually. Everyone dies because Adam brought sin into the world. And unless we're born again, we are sp still spiritually dead. And if you're spiritually dead, you have no relationship with God. And therefore, you will have no eternity with God. But the Bible also says that the gift of God is eternal life through Christ. In other words, you acknowledge, yeah, I'm a sinner, I can't make it, but I believe that Jesus died for me. That all the sins I committed, he took upon himself, and he's forgiven me of those. And therefore, because of his sacrifice, now I have right relationship with God, because I believe that, and I live my life according to that. So have you never come to a point in your life where you said, you know what? I need to be saved. I need to have my sins forgiven. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Even reading your Bible doesn't make you a Christian. Praying doesn't make you a Christian. Those are all things you do after you become a Christian. What makes you a Christian is believing that Jesus died for you. The Bible says, for as many as receive him, not just know about him, as receive him, to those he gave the power and authority to be called children of God. You're God's kid because you believed and you've received the forgiveness of Christ. And if that's you and you want to make that choice today, you've never made it before, you want to make it today, I want you to raise your hand right now. We're going to pray with you. Maybe you have a little bit of Jonah in you. Maybe you know people that have really hurt you or done you wrong or just done wrong in society as well. And you feel they don't need the gospel. They got, they'll get what they got coming to them. Well, that's not our job. Our job is to show them Jesus and whatever they do is that we've done our part. We want them to be saved because God wants them to be saved. So I pray that you would help each one of us. Whenever those thoughts come up, replace them with what you're gonna do with Jonah. Allow us to share the gospel with them and maybe they'll be saved. Father, we thank you for saving us. We thank you for working in our life, taking us from where we were to where we are today through no, nothing that we've done, only because of you. And that's why we can sing how good you've been to us. So Father, I pray that you would help us to have the burden for those we know. Give us the opportunity to share. Give us the words to say when we talk to them. And we pray that, Lord, you save many before the time is, before the time is up. Use us, put us in positions, give us divine appointments, but use us, Lord. So when our time comes, we want to hear you say to us, well done. 
And we want others to be in heaven who say thank you for talking to me about Jesus. So Lord, I pray your blessings upon each one of us as we leave this morning. Allow us to really sense your presence every day. That every step we take, Lord, is directed by you. At the end of the day, we can put our head down on the pillow knowing we've done all that we can do for the kingdom of God. So, Father, we thank you for being so good to us. We thank you for your blessings. We want our lives to reflect our gratitude. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. See you Wednesday night. We're talking about the Holy Spirit on Wednesday night. If you want to know more about that, come out and join us. Bring your questions. My wife will answer those for you. <laughs>